Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 83 for Sunday, November 28th, 2021. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney. And I am Captain Sabriel Meston. Happy to report that the new flamethrowers have been installed on the bridge. No idea why we need them, but they tell me they'll be nice and dramatic. Well, you know, I don't think every part of the Discovery has been future-fitted for the 31st century, so they had to keep the flamethrowers. I mean, I think they added them. Oh, we already, the, oh. We already know starships are made out of rock. <laughs> Uh, in in uh, Discovery's era, and apparently they brought that back in the future. Wait, where where does the rock come from? Every time Discovery gets hit by something, rocks fly all over the place. <laughs> Just watch the floor. It's a rocky wasteland of material, even though the walls are perfectly fine. And now now this season, they blow fire. Oh, gosh. I need to go rewatch this episode. I totally this, missed the rocks. Uh, yeah, it's it's been... This, uh, this has been since Discovery started. But could that be because in the future we have one of those creatures where McCoy said, I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer? Uh, maybe, they're, maybe they're in Starfleet now. Well, there are Horta in, I think, the Beta Cannon on the star- serving on a starship later, but not in Discovery. <laughs> well, as you always say, Bree, just because we don't see it on TV doesn't mean it isn't happening off screen. All right, but um, TL is <laughs> where it started. The Horta started. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So the first three seasons, or the first two seasons of Discovery would not have had a Horda. But now that they're in the future, and we have Ferengi in Starfleet. I know, because we've never seen that before. Right. Well, we saw a Nog, which <laughs> I, I, think, I think this Ferengi is an Admiral, right? I didn't look that closely. There was also a Ferengi on TNG. However, it was one of um, Riker's like future visions. And he's like, this is clearly wrong. There's a Ferengi serving on the bridge. You know, I actually meant to mention that because in our episode with Kraft, where we were talking about Prodigy, we were trying to figure out what year Prodigy takes place. And the year Prodigy takes place is the same year that Riker woke up with amnesia. Oh. So if you look at Memory Alpha, like what happened this year? And the two things that happened are the USS Protostar is discovered and Riker wakes up with amnesia. <laughs> Interesting. So, <laughs> and very so short entry. Yeah, so if that gives you a sense of like when in Star Trek timeline stuff is taking place, that that's that's the context. Well, speaking of anomalies, right? Data. We should talk about Discovery uh, episode here called Anomaly. Yeah, season four, episode two has the most generic name ever. Like this could be fifty percent of all Star Trek episodes. <laughs> Time's child, uh, the essence of tomorrow. Tomorrow right? is tomorrow. No, <laughs> Still, I, 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 Anomaly encompasses a lot of them. Like anytime you travel back in time or into the future or the, there is something disrupting your gravitational pull or your warp propulsion, it's an anomaly. So like, why, do, why does this episode get to be the anomaly? Well, because it's what it's about. But it doesn't, it's not even the anomaly, it's just anomaly. Uh, I'm waiting for the episode, some kind of. <laughs> I love that techno remix. <laughs> Uh, I also saw a supercut, uh, slight tangent here, of all the times that Star Trek says on the double. On the double, that's nice. There was another one recently of um, Archer. God, what was it? It was something like. Uh, it was a great Archer one. He said a line I wish I could remember it now. Uh, ad nauseum during the entire series and never noticed it. Uh, but yeah, you can get. There's a lot of great compilations of these phrases that are said a lot in Star Trek. <laughs> And when you hear them often enough, like you don't notice it one by one, as you just said, but when you hear it repeatedly, you're like, first of all, how did I not notice that before? And second of all, what does that even mean? Like, I'm trying to figure out, like, where did on the double come from? Like, okay, it's British military slang, according to Urban Dictionary. But why would it be so pervasive in Starfleet? Like, that's not British military. Come on. Uh, Okay. Maybe... Uh, like Gene Roddenberry heard it a lot, or you know, like the producers of the original Next Gen said it a bunch, and or maybe you know, or you know, it's kind of. Per- I guess maybe Star Trek is where I've heard it the most. 
I mean, I admit that it is no longer exclusively British slang. Right. Uh, I, like, I have heard it. I'm not in the military, so I am exaggerating a little bit. But still, when you put all the instances together, like, oh, it feels like Star Trek used it a lot. But then, of course, out of 800 plus episodes, did they really? Probably not. That's the whole point of supercuts is to exaggerate the instances of these things. I just Googled, or in Reddit, I just searched compilation. And uh, some of the lists here, there's results that show, um, I'm going to compile a list of every sexy lube scene from Enterprise. Um, or compilation of Guinan's outfits. Or mm-hmm. um, one of my favorite ones near the top, O'Brien's shoulder, a compilation. What? What? Oh, oh, okay. He was always having having shoulder injuries from next gen and DS9. DS9. That's true. Okay, I thought it was some sort of a weird fetish you were talking about. What? what? Like, let's just look at O'Brien's shoulder. <laughs> like all the times that his shirt ripped off at the shoulder, and you got to see some sexy Irish shoulder. I suppose without context, that's where one's mind could go. Uh, but wor- yet. <laughs> so, so what does it say about my mind? <laughs> I wasn't going to go there. You know what? We are talking for 88 minutes already, and we have not talked about Anomaly, an episode I really liked. Uh, I think that's 8 minutes and 80 seconds. <laughs> no, it's 88. Okay, if you Actually, say so. I did not look at the recording time. I just said a number. <laughs> well, if we're going 88 miles per hour, then we are going into the future, the 31st century. So, we have a big black hole or not? Yeah, we thought it was <laughs> twin black holes, and then Stamus decides to quote Alice in Wonderland, and declare that it is not anything he recognizes and uh yeah that is this week's episode thanks for watching um i really enjoyed this episode (laughs) me too and you know one of the things about discovery is every season is this galaxy threat and hold on now i'm all thrown off (laughs) uh and oh. that re- and that results in a lot of very frenetic scenes. Like last week, we had the space station. This week, we have the anomaly itself. There's always something that's putting people's lives in jeopardy. There are no like slow, quiet episodes where you're just talking about the prime directive. And yet, this week they still did a good job of building character moments into the action. Like whether it's Culber talking to Tilly in the corridor or talking to her you know when she's looking at a scientific screen saying Adir is just trying to impress you or whether it is Stamets and Book talking uh, or Saru and Burnham talking in Captain's Quarters or then again on the bridge they did a good job of I thought building those interactions in they do they, they really started to get in here like even I saw people talking online like even like wow they're actually making even stronger point of mentioning our crew members names on the bridge four seasons in <laughs> but um no there's a lot of good character moments here there's a lot of fun ones there's a lot of interesting ones there was good ones um what were some of your favorites i mean i really liked the talk about transition for adira and gray mm. uh wait you mean the one in sickbay mm-hmm. okay uh they had a conversation in sickbay if you recall of looking at a body for Gray and uh, um, Gray even mentions like mentions the word transition uh, as in the transition they had gone when they had a body before mm. and uh, but also like he had fun little moment here he's like well if I get a second chance at body I might as well change a few things and mm. um, which is but it was just a fun little conversation with a nice kind way to explore that and i don't think i've ever seen that in a mainstream television show same with last week when just heard someone referred to with their non-binary pronouns right and uh like i said i think i mentioned i told someone anyway caught me off guard not because that was shocking to me it was shocking to me that it happened period yeah yeah that whole scene about the transition that is a powerful metaphor and not one that had occurred to me it's one of the reasons why i love book clubs and engaging with you in podcasts and the like is because other people pick up on things that I don't. I tend to initially interpret texts and media in a very superficial fashion. And so I was thinking about Gray, you know, getting a new body because Gray does not currently have a body. And I hadn't thought about, well, what 
does that look like nowadays? I'm like, oh, oh, there are people in the audience who might appreciate this on a different level. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, gosh, I was thinking, like, I realized, like, I don't go to the Star Trek subreddits, subreddits as much. That's where a lot of discussion happens, and as much as I used to. Um, also because discussion tends to be so base level uninteresting to me. Like, uh, I want to explore these characters deeper, but so many people are very upset that Michael is the, the star of the show when everyone else is people that are around her. Uh, there are people who don't even bring up the transition things. It's like, I mean, there's just not a lot of early in-depth discussion. Usually the in-depth discussion happens years later, and I think it's unfortunate. So it's nice to have a place to talk about the lower or the deeper level things. Yeah, there is a subreddit called the Daystrom Institute, but they don't tend to talk about particular episodes like you and I do. They're more thinking about the futurism of Star Trek and how things work. Yeah, and even over time, I found out myself, like, like I I used to love that stuff so much. And now I'm just, as I get older, I'm like, I'm just here for the fun story in a futuristic world. It's kind of neat when they can, I like when they can make connections, but I'm not one that's like, oh, they said the ship couldn't go 9.6, but in episode four, whatever, blah, 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 they went 9.99. How do they do this? I'm like, I was like, to me, that minutia is not as interesting to me as it used to be. I still find it interesting, but I think there are bigger stories to be told. Yeah, things that I mean, a lot of people just get hung up on things that probably don't matter in the grand scheme of things. Maybe just getting older and like my time, I try to be more care or watchful, mindful of what I do with my time and how I spend it. Mm. Maybe that's part of it. I mean, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of parts of it that, but that's getting away from the episode discussion here again. Um, <laughs> yeah. So in in sick bay. I have a question about it's. It sounds like Gray's incorporation, if that's the right word. Yeah, is it? It seems to be taken for granted. Like it's going to happen, and they already know how. Did I miss something? No, they sure. Well, well like St- uh, Calber made it sound like it was no big deal. We're we're pretty sure this is going to work, but it's kind of cool that they had the little connection to the Picard series and the Golem there. I like that. And they had a, they already cut it off of the past for all the Redditors and saying, nope, barely anyone has done this since because it's very, it's very tough. <laughs> uh, so that's why we don't see golems all over the place. Um, right. Very, with, very low success rate, but they are apparently going to be. So they sound pretty confident. Yeah. So this body that they were looking at is not like they're not actually going to be putting Gray into a hologram. This is just a draft of the body they are going to build using the same method that Data's brother did, apparently. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I didn't realize that anybody had that tech and also for Culber this that's still future tech like Adira says wow this is 800 years old and to Culber it's more like 200 years in the future right uh still yeah it's what I was like I, I like how they're just like yep it's been mm. a few years we got this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but also the consciousness it seems to me to be part of the Tal symbiont, and I don't understand how they're going to extract just that. And if they do, then that means that Gray will not be a joined trill. Gray will just be Gray. Mm-hmm. And yet, Gray's memories are still part of the Tal symbiont. So, are they going to extract that, and Adira will no longer have it? We'll find out, I suppose. Yeah, these are rhetorical questions at this point. It's too soon to say. I'm just wondering. The, these are the things I'm hoping that they will address because we've never seen a trill in a human long term before. And there are all sorts of precedents being set here, and I'm eager to see what they are. Uh, I think we're definitely going back to the planet trill at some point this season as well. Um, Isn't that what Gray said that uh, they want to be is a guardian? Uh, yeah, yep. The great guardian of the people who mind over the symbionts. And so apparently he wants to be one. Of all the things he could be. 
I mean, um, we—I don't have a good impression of Trill Guardians. They seem rather xenophobic. Uh, you know what? But someone can like start things up and make things better. It's true. We have not seen any of those characteristics in Gray, so this might be the start of a new generation. Mm-hmm. No pun intended. Uh, next oh. generation, even. <laughs> that too. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Also, speaking about character moments, we and you and I talked in the last season of Transporter Lock about a teaser we had for the fourth season, which was that Stamus was going to get to interact with somebody that he has hardly ever interacted with before. And I think you and I theorized that it would be Saru. And this episode, we found out it is, in fact, Book. I honestly don't remember that discussion at all. To be, but uh, uh, yeah, to Book, they didn't have they didn't have much reason to interact last season. Except now they have in common that they can drive the spore drive. And they're like, oh, well, that we, we get arm tingles together. Yay. Honestly, entirely forgot a book can do that until it was brought up again this season. I entirely forgot. I don't know why. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, that that's one of the things you actually, you brought that up last week on Transporter Lock, which was they're building the next generation of spore drive. Uh-huh. And you said, yeah, now that any Quajon can drive it, that's how they can get around it. I don't think that's exactly what I said, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, until this season, I, and this, basically I had just forgotten that happened at the end of last season until the season started. Uh, I don't know why that specific spot just like, boop, gone. Um, <laughs> and boop, it's back. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, uh, I mean, there was some unresolved issues there that I'm glad that they got to go through a little bit. Stamets saying like, you remind me of, what I almost lost. Uh, Stamets also kind of seeing what it was like to work with him in season one. Someone who's very yeah. standoffish. <laughs> yeah, there we still get moments of Stamets that are like that. And I appreciate knowing that he's not like a fully recovered jerk. You know, this is something that people still struggle with. You don't just recognize the error of your ways. But as he has, I mean, he started the show... Uh, with Culver, but then he lost him and then got him back, and now he has a child, and now uh, it's just nice to see that character growth, but also to recognize that he still remembers where he came from, which is being a jerk. Mm -hmm. Although, some of the things he said to Book, though, did not strike me as very helpful, because he says to Book, you were the only one who could save my family, and while I was helpless and could do nothing, you're the one who saved them. And if I were a book, I would have thought, yeah, and nobody did that for my family, did they? Uh, I don't think it's quite the same situation, but I could see what you mean there. And that's also Stamets. Just, just, he admitted multiple times he had no idea what to say to him. Yeah. He said, like, I was, I'm supposed to follow your lead. You're supposed to tell me what you need. And Book is like, I need you to stop talking. <laughs> I mean, Gosh. no one told Book that <laughs> uh, they're going to tell Stamets that. Right. Um, I, d- I do like uh, this new holographic projection technology. That's pretty cool. That's going to come up again. I hope so, because <laughs> it has a lot of potential. Although I am curious, the holographic projection, yes, there was some static caused in either direction, but nonetheless, it was still able to maintain a connection. And yet all the data they collected about the anomaly, that could not be transmitted back to Discovery. Yeah, uh, uh, there was... I mean, maybe the tether was helping. It was also like our our tether, our programmable matter tether. I'm like, there's a lot of like, hmm. All right, we have our MacGuffin that can help a lot in every situation we need it to. Uh, I mean, it's not the first time we've seen holographic data be treated differently from traditional data. I just found it curious that holographic data is extremely dense. Like, there's a lot of information being transmitted there. You can't fit a a few scans of the anomaly. Uh, I I don't think I'm going to get a satisfactory explanation to that. I don't need one, but I had to bring it up. Uh, Can only do so much if our plot says we can't. We can't. Oh, that also reminds me. (laughs) As I'm talking, um, uh, as I'm saying that, there was a great line from uh, Saru. Got to say, um, Discovery will not survive much more of that. Uh, very precise. It was like basically the Scotty line, but Saru saying it later on. Completely unrelated to the scene that we're just talking about, but it reminded me of that. Oh, and speaking of particular lines of dialogue, you nailed it last week. There were two things you said that were probably indicating 
uh, future character arcs or conversations. And you were right about both. One was Tilly on the space station, not knowing what she was going to do with the rest of her life. And when she got back to discovery and the other was Adira uh, when they crash landed in the shuttle bay saying, what happened? I thought we were safe. And both of those things came back this week. They did. Um, I loved this little bit with Tilly. It came up much to the story. It got, we got to have in connection with this. She got to have a cool little Tilly Saru scene again, which I loved. You know, she's like, are you taller? <laughs> um, but she also revealed that she's not doing okay. And when they got into the turbo lift, Saru gave her a pat on the back, uh, which was really kind and sweet. And then Tilly had a moment later when she's talking to Culber and she admits that she is not doing okay and uh, has a conversation basically, or literally asking for therapy. And having the discussion that you never see on TV of someone ask, uh, or in this regard asking for help. Unless it's a huge dramatic moment for a television show. Here she's asking for therapy. And I think that was intentional like, to show like, hey, it's, it's okay to ask for help. And I thought that was just really well done. Yeah, one of the things that you and I noticed last season was that Culber, having fairly recovered from his prior death... He seems to have a much lighter touch with people. He seems to be much more in tune with their needs beyond just the physical. Because that's what I would expect from a traditional medical doctor. Someone who you find in sickbay is that they're going to treat your your physical wounds. And it's important that these ships have somebody like Counselor Troy, which we have not seen since TNG. We hardly ever see ships therapists. We talked about Admiral Cornwell and how her background was in psychology, but she never really functioned in that role and finally we have somebody on discovery who is doing that and i thought i thought the scene with him and tilly that you just mentioned was fantastic uh-huh i really loved how they ended it too very much like a what kind of conversation two people like goofing around on a stage would be like all right we're gonna go do my thing and he's like all right you go save the world um it was just very adorable it felt very real um in ways that discovery has shown that over its showtime, Discovery has shown people be more real instead of this completely strict uniform military code. I mean, you see, like, people swearing or math is cool. Uh, I mean, fun little moments like that, I, I think, personalizes the characters, make them feel more real. But They're certainly a lot more relatable, and I imagine some Trekkie enthusiasts might say, no, by that century, humanity has evolved beyond those things. And I'm yeah. like, well, first of all, A... Discovery is not from that era. A B, we've seen humans in the 31st century still being petty. And C, even Captain Picard broke his little ships. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not as evolved as he would have you believe. So humanity is still susceptible to these very mortal flaws. For real. I mean, that's one of the reasons I loved Enterprise so much, because you get to see the people be like civilians. They would come on the bridge sometimes wearing their civilian clothes. Like, or, you know, like Hawaiian shirts. I mean, I just love that. Um... Getting back to Culber, I, I don't think when the show started they had him intended to ever be in a psycho- um, like a therapist role, but I, I think he fits it so well. They found this little niche of him being really good with people. Uh, I mean, the actor and Culber, uh, just really good with that kind, gentle warmness that I just adore so much. Even Tilly pointed it out. She said, you have a very soft touch with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that there are some f- directions that they knew this show was going to go seasons in advance and some that they're making up as they go. And I think this is a very natural evolution for the Culber character. Yeah. Um, back to the show. Oh, character moments. Saru had a few where you find out he was offered a command of the Sojourner. Uh, he declined it because he really wanted to be here with Michael to support her. And at the very end, the last scene, just before we saw the creepy eye in space, um, that was totally an eye. Um, he, we see him standing there looking out into space, and he's gently touching his little symbol from Kaminar uh, that he wears on his um, on his chest, and clearly show him lost in thought. And I was just like, just a touching little moment like that 
whether it's going to come back importance not or later, I don't know. But I love that little just that little subtle thing of like he's just thinking. And I thought that was just really well done. I like that they allow Starfleet characters to have these touches from home. Like at first they told Ensign Rowe, you can't wear your earring, which was yeah. stupid because there was Worf wearing his sash. But eventually they let Roe wear her earring and they let Deanna Troy wear all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And finally they also let Saru wear his little pin, which was nice. And also you and I, especially you, again, discussed last week about how you can have a captain as your number one. And that's exactly what happened this week. Yes. Just yes. like Spock. <laughs> Um. Yeah, and he did a really good job. Uh, I mean, his his spots were like very much like uh, Deus Ex Machina is too strong of a word, but he was he knew the specific answer for the specific need. Um, like Michael was on the holodeck looking at um Vulcan slash Navarre, and they come back to her quarters, and she says. Uh, you know, she's struggling letting someone go, worried that they are do a mission, worried that they are um going to do something uh, to take unnecessary risks. And I'm like, Michael, you're just talking about captaining yourself. But also, he instantly had the solution of like, well, what if we have a tether and a hologram? And then, um, when Book is having a moment in the anomaly, Saru just comes over and like you got to activate the cone of silence and talk to him, uh, uh, basically. And uh, he had the exact answer. And so that felt a little weird to me, but also kind of fit because Saru spends, or at least in the past, spent so much time studying Captain C and leadership. And so it, it works, but also felt weird to me. How about you? Yeah, I, I totally see where you're coming from. Uh, the, that is all true. The thing that stood out to me more was I again marvel at the evolution of the relationship between Saru and Burnham because in season one, episode three, like her mere presence on the ship caused his threat ganglia to emerge, and now they're best friends. And I, you know, that's a, a believable evolution, but it still shocks me how far they've come. As for him becoming more comfortable in the skin of a captain. Well, I think that comes from two places. One is he was captain for most of season three, and he was still looking to Zora for advice and recommendations at that point. But also remember the first three seasons were contiguous. There was no break in between. And now we've had five months in between granted. He didn't spend those five months on a Starfleet ship. He was not serving as a captain, but I think it still gave him a breather, some time to reflect and meditate, to reconnect with himself and with his home and his family. And I think that did him good. I think he's coming from a calmer place now. He's had, I mean, not only five months to make all those adjustments, but also, again, another five months without his threat ganglia. Like, he lived almost his entire life in fear up until midway through season two. And then he went right from season two into season three. So I think he's now getting to a point where, oh, this is what it's like to live not in fear. And I can express these other emotions now. Now, it's kind of like toxic masculinity. The idea that the only emotion men are allowed to express is anger. Saru had a kind of toxic masculinity, not that he could help it. It was biological, where the only emotion he could really express was fear. Now that that blocker is removed, he's had more time to acquaint himself with the full range of Kelpian emotion. I think you are agreeing with me. <laughs> oh, I think you're saying that it's slightly unbelievable how good a captain oh, he is no, now. No, no, I was not uh, not intended. Um, I was saying I I thought it was weird that he was written as having a specific the specific answer to a solution to an issue. Not that he was I. Um, thought that he did not deserve it or had earned it i see uh, i just because that is all true we've seen so much growth as character plus that five months on kaminar as uh, acting as like the elder role of leadership and guidance uh he has had such a great progression and it felt it feels all natural i think it's awesome i 
Uh, is this such a difference to Rue from the pilot? Yes. It's so... He's one of the characters who's grown the most. I mean, him and Michael are the two characters who have grown the most, because that's basically their show. Um, but it's, 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 it felt really well done. I mean, and to him countering, like, basically, like, he knows that Michael is basically in this situation, worried about being a captain for her, um, someone just like herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we still see more character evolution from the main cast than we do from the rest of the bridge crew. We saw some character moments with Detmer last season, but the rest of the bridge crew, not so much. Like, we learned this week that Bryce went kite surfing as a kid, but last week on Transporter Lock, you and I could not remember Bryce's name. Yeah, well, I realized, it's like, oh, that's why I got it confused, because Reese and Bryce sound similar. Yes, that's, I have that same hang up myself. Um, and you know like but we don't what do we know about bryce other than he used to kite surf anything bueller top of my head no idea top of my head no idea yeah exactly uh oh well i remember she had a she was from like a luddite community in season two if i remember correctly um mennonite i think wasn't it oh i thought it was people who were uh didn't want tech yeah, I mean, Mennonite is similar in some ways to the Amish. Yeah, but I didn't they think are... it was a specific Earth thing. Uh, Maybe, I forget. Some kind of ite. Uh, no, I think, <laughs> it was, I think it was, I thought it was Luddite. But anyway, but that's the last thing I think we know about her. Mm. I mean, we saw her more, act, they're doing more on screen during the Mirror Universe episodes last season. Yeah, that was um, awesome. For a while. Yeah, she was and, cool there too. And do we know anything about Reese? I don't. Nothing on top of my head. Exactly. But also, is that true for Jordy? Like, or 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 Diana? Like, what do they do? We know that like, Diana likes chocolate. I remember <laughs> that. Uh, yeah, but Jordy. we know all about Diana's mom and her relationship with her father and how she had a little sister and. But right. See uh, how a lot of these things are make. They're not about her. They're the things that about. Her, around her that make her interesting and also her history with Riker I mean that's I that's her, her personal, personal relationships I was thinking more like her what is she like her hobbies uh, chocolate uh, therapy I mean that's her job <laughs> well, you know, her hobbies like, like, I like mint that's all I need to know about you Brie I mean it's like what do we know about no, I, I'm not it's not necessarily the one to answer I mean, this is why every Christmas gift I've ever gotten you has been mint-based. Because it's all I know about you. Um, <laughs> you just gave me that, like, mint leaf. It was really great, but I didn't know what to do with it. No, um, Mint but, tea, uh, mint chocolate, mint toothpaste, <laughs> mint floss. Uh-huh. Oh, that floss here was great. Um, right? I still feel like most characters, you kind of know, like, one thing about them. And like now we know Bryce, like, kite surfing, but that's never going to come up again. Unless it does. <laughs> if only we had a kite surfer on the bridge. Wait a minute. <laughs> I, but I just, it, it's unfortunate that this is, we know it's the Michael show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just feels like maybe I'm gra- grasping at straws here. Cause do we know much about the other people uh, in their shows? And maybe not, maybe not. Uh, but just, so maybe we're just kind of, I'm grasping because I want more. But maybe this is actually what we've got in all these in all these shows. Well, conversely, there is another phenomenon or television trope. I forget the name of it, but we saw it in Quantum Leap, where whatever quality or background trait the episode called for, Al had it. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Oh yeah, I grew up in an orphanage too, just like this person you're trying to save." Oh yeah, my sister was also special needs. I also was in the war. I also took boxing lessons. I also know how to play the piano. Yep. Yep. Uh, <laughs> like he's quite the melange of characters and like we don't want that's the opposite extreme we don't want that where like next week they need somebody who used to know how to play water polo and Bryce is like oh I did that too I used to play at Stanford uh, yeah there's another camper who did that uh, Archer <laughs> right see everybody um, uh, anyway uh, uh, the bridge needs uh, apparently all these years they have abandoned seatbelts yet again yeah, you know, when the gravity cuts out, that doesn't necessarily mean everybody immediately flies into the air. Like, when when there's no gravity, things that 
in motion stay in motion and things at rest stay in rest until an external force is acted upon them. And so I guess you could say that whatever wave hit the discovery knocked out the gravity and then the inertia from that same wave knocked them into the air. Yeah. But it just seemed like a popular depiction of anti-gravity as opposed or lack of gravity rather, as opposed to what it would actually be. Yeah. I, uh, I thought the effect looked so dang cool, but also suppose we could say that um, that was part of the nature of the unnaturalness of the gravity. Uh, gravity that it threw up intentionally did that to them, which but I suspect that's not where they're going to go with that. But um, I thought that yeah yeah, but I agree with you. Yeah, they didn't just start slowly floating away like we probably should have. <laughs> um, it is a cooler effect than the bridge of the TNG cast rocking back and forth. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. And the fact that right, and they never lost gravity. They'll say some deck lost their gravity, but like it was way too expensive for us to show. Uh, right. <laughs> Right. Uh, it looks so damn cool here. I loved it. Um, I also loved like status report, and Hobo was like, "I can't reach the panel." <laughs> <laughs> and also Tilly, like, "Good news. We know when the next wave is gonna hit. Bad news. It's two seconds from now." Right. I, I was like, second watch. I'm like, Tilly, just say it. Brace it. <laughs> Hold yeah, on to something. <laughs> you could have said it's four seconds from now and saved yourself that much time. <laughs> Being clever may have cost somebody their life. They could have strapped into their seatbelt. Uh, it was still funny. It's, I mean, a funny and neat scene, but it's like, yeah, you could have saved us from this. <laughs> you could have saved and, the show some money, Tilly. And speaking of uh, character moments, I like when she was harsh with Adira because uh, that is what the moment called for, and we would not have seen that sort of um, forcefulness from Tilly in previous seasons. And then she kind of makes up for it afterward by saying, hey, nice work out there. And she gives Adira a high five. Absolutely. I mean, also, it shows her, you know, like, in a situation, like, hey, no, I know you're really good at what you do, but uh, i got to be my leadership role. Mm-hmm. She's trying to be an officer. I thought that was so cool. And then being all the afterwards. I'm glad they did not focus on Adira, um, on Adira sitting there and focusing on it, and focusing on it um, as... Um, that's the one who might be, who's anxious might be wanted to do. I'm glad we were able to, Adira recognize that they, okay, all right, we'll just do the thing, we'll get through this, and then I'm so happy that Tilly afterwards had that moment of like, you rocked. Yep. Mm-hmm. There were four pieces of new technology we saw in this episode that I want to call out. One you already mentioned, which is the tether. Uh, it was never explicitly explained to us how it works or what the intended goal was in deploying it, but I guess it's almost like a, a, a more flexible tractor beam in a sense where you can pull somebody out, but also like tethers usually work in a straight line. And so, yes, when you're rolling it out it's flexible and can go in any direction but then when you pull them back in it goes taut and if you were to pull that ship out in a straight line from the anomaly it would probably hit a lot of rocks mm-hmm. um i guess yeah i could see that but also like it's one of those uh it's exactly as long as we need it to be because like man that's a lot of matter between you and however far and this book was like it made it sure look like he was going very deep into this anomaly, but more like he was only like 800 feet away from the ship the entire time, uh, just for dramatic. But I mean, like, that's a lar- very long tether is all I could think of. Yeah. Must be very thin and yet very sturdy. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, programmable, programmable, ma- programmable matter. Wow. Um, is, man, I, you know, I could see this when they were filming these episodes, how many times they had to say programmable matter to get it right. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, um, that's the their fix-all now but yeah they already, they already, but but it's star trek they always have a fix-all it's true if you're not reversing the polarity then you're deploying programmable matter yeah, exactly uh or you know get the deflection dish and do a thing um deflector dish uh the, the ram buzzard scoop or whatever <laughs> uh let's see you also mentioned that there is now a holodeck in the captain's quarters uh, I just said holodeck i think there is actually a specific holodeck but you know what they can just beam whatever they want dave do that because Saru, uh, it, but it could have been maybe you just access it however you want because uh, Saru came, clearly came through what looked like a terrible lift door, but maybe it was 
front door of her quarters. I mean, I think they were always in her quarters because I didn't see any transporter effect. They were just able to overlay a holodeck, or not holodeck, they are able to overlay a hologram onto her quarters. She did say, like, come or something like that. Like, one yeah. one, the door. But and then she said, and then she said to the bring, to the holodeck, "Bring us home." I wonder how that. God, that'd be so neat to have. Like, you're just having your own uh, holodeck, like in your room, or just like whatever you need it. Uh, I, it it must room. it must be extremely limited to visual only because there are chairs in her quarters. She they sat down in them afterward. I don't think that those chairs weren't there when she was looking at Vulcan. She just couldn't see them. So it's kind of like a holodeck where you can walk around and bump into things you can't see, which Mm -hmm. doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Maybe it's just like, you know, uh, not quite. It it was VR, but it was just like a stationary one like you do with a VR set now. You stay in one spot or or localized spot and uh, look around um, limited. I don't know. It was just cool. I would love to have that just sit here at my desk and like, huh. I want to see the ocean today. You know, even if it's not, you can go into it. I just want to see it. Yeah. Or, or like looking at your own pictures, but in as if you are there. Right. No, I get that. You know, like I'm still sitting at my desk. My laptop is still here. I'm still doing my job. But instead of being in a cold apartment in gray Missoula, Montana, it looks like I'm on the shores of Dunbar. I could live with that. Yeah. That'd be neat. I mean, we're getting there, but we're not at this level. (laughs) <laughs> we are getting there? Uh, no, just VR. Just increasing oh. VR. Uh, mm. No no, yeah. no, more meaning than that. Tech is but happening. The mo- but the most popular VR is still owned by Facebook, and I refuse oh. to use it. <laughs> uh, let's see. Two other pieces of tech. One is, again, you already brought this up, was the Cone of Silence, which is exactly what I thought of when they brought it up. <laughs> and if she uh, gets a telephone out of her shoe, then I'll be really excited. <laughs> One of my first thoughts was, she asked one of the bridge crew to activate it and I, I was waiting for her to ask the bridge crew to deactivate it and the bridge crew couldn't hear her <laughs> like hello i said turn it off what turn it off <laughs> like she must have a button on her command chair console to disable it uh-huh. couldn't she also enable it the same way because also like they are still in the middle of a tense situation. What if she needs to give her bridge crew a command and this cone of silence is up? Like, is she very quickly toggling back and forth? Okay, book, I'm back with you. Oh, I got to say something to the bridge crew. Just a moment. Blah, blah, blah. It's just, oh my gosh, it's so much potential. Right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's just like being on a phone. Ah. Although I did, I did love near the uh, beginning of the episode where she activated a shipwide comm channel and she gave a dramatic speech just like we saw on Lower Decks from the Red Shirts. Oh, you're right. Yep. She did the captain's speech well practiced. Right. Uh-huh. right. That's exactly what they were making fun of on Lower Decks. And then they turn around and do it for real on Discovery. I'm like, are you watching each other? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't mind it in this episode. I just thought given the context of Lower Decks, it took on a uh-huh. more humorous tone. Right. You're just aware of it. Like you know, It's one of those things you probably... No exists, but you don't think about it until now it's been pointed out. And like, yes, all captains have their dramatic speech. Right. Kind of like when anybody says some kind of, or anytime Riker sits on a chair weird, or now when they say on the double, you're going to notice it. Or and I figured out what the video with Archer was. It was anything, anything, anything. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you put that clip in our chat. I will include it in the show notes. <laughs> uh, the fourth and final piece of new tech I wanted to point out was that the ship's computer has now named itself. It is Zora, just like in the short trek Calypso. Yes. Uh, I read the showrunner said something, uh, a director, a showrunner said something along the lines of um, never confirming that those were the same universe, the stories, but did say like, but yeah, now name Zora. Kind of like, yep, we are either now going to allude to it or... Uh, we may never use, but basically they were saying we may never go back to the Calypso story, but we did add a little bit from it, is what it, they were saying. It certainly allows them the option to go there. Yeah, basically she did specifically point out it's like it's still on our mind, but it may never connect. Still, though, I find it interesting that nobody at Starfleet so far seems very concerned about the Discovery computer being sentient. Right? I mean, Earth, unless. <laughs> 
that seems like it'd be an interesting conversation to have on screen. So I hope it's not one of those things they deflect off. Because like, and, or, you know, it's not, it is, maybe it is one of those things we just accept. Because she even, she said, Saru is like, uh, Zora, like, yep, she named herself. And then even during the episode, she, um, when they're all floating in the air, she specifically says, Zora, what's going on? Right. And naming yourself, I mean, they could have made a scene just out of that, about a computer coming to terms with its identity and trying to decide, how shall I be known? And why that term? Is she just a fan of the fish people from The Legend of Zelda? Uh, was it a character in the film that they watched? Uh, oh, Funny Face? Yeah. I, uh, I don't I, think... It's been a while since I watched it, so I could be completely off. I was just... Bit a bit. I I don't know. Th- uh, that was Audrey Hepburn played Joe Stockton and Fred Astaire as Dick Avery. I don't think there was anybody named Zora. No, all in right, that movie. no, just hypothesizing. But anyway, yeah. I mean, we've seen computers become sentient before. Like Next Gen's uh, Enterprise D computer did that once too. Yes, and I feel like I bring that up in every other episode of Transporter Lock <laughs> because it's one of those threads that never got tied up. I kept waiting for it to show up in the Delta Quadrant in. Uh, Voyager, and it never did. And oh my god, I want to know what happened to the sentient embodiment of the 1701D. Right? Well, maybe it's here. Now it's like, I'm back and I'm mad. Uh, I'm, I'm basically, I learned this lesson from the whale probe. I'm going to keep destroying planets until I hear from Picard again. Right? I mean, we don't know where Vidger came from. We that don't was... know where the 1701D went to. See, this is exactly kind of the similar conversation I was having with my friend Char, uh, who does punch it podcast we sometimes talk about things like actually brought up like V'ger uh we're like so last thing you talked about like if this is something that's known I said um maybe it's extra galactic and um we talked about Kelvin's a bit and uh Char and I talked a bit more of like but if it's it could I mean obviously it could be something else that was just purely if it's a known but also like there are a few things we don't know, like the source of the whale probe, the source of, or who, who uh, changed Voyager to what it became, Voyager probe, to what it became. Uh, like Beta Cannon, I think, said the Borg did it, or maybe, maybe even, um, I think that was the book that uh, William Shatner wrote. No, I think you're right. Uh, said Voyager was done by the Borg, but yep. that's not canon. Uh, no. So, like, but we have all these things that are unanswered still in Star Trek. If it's a known, it could be someone completely new. Right. And here are you and I saying that we have less interest in the mechanics and more interest in the story. I'm like, well, those are stories that haven't been told. We want to know. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. And that thing, that, that looked like an eye. That was intentional. That is where I we need to end this episode, is talking about what is the nature of the anomaly. And uh, one of my questions was, they panned out really super far and I wasn't sure what that shape was supposed to indicate, but you're saying it is an eye? Um, well, one, yeah, it's an eye, totally. Um, I took a screenshot that there's no way I will describe it. It's blue. It's a circle. No, um, I'm kidding. One of the cuts as it was pulling away was intended to look for like an eye for like a split second. And then it, the screen um, uh, flashes as like a star system goes by and it goes out a little further so you can't focus on it too closely but I took a picture I'll share with Ken offline but um, but then Shar and I were trying to talk like I know this is an eye this looks like an eye it's supposed to show that this thing that I've already said was unnatural is is unnatural it's some something is causing all this stuff and but we're looking like this image looks so familiar and I'm trying to find and I think there's something more familiar than this but um it does resemble pictures we've taken of black holes but Hmm. i still think this is a being or artificial construct made by a being well that's i mean these are my two broad theories one is that the anomaly is itself is sentient or two the anomaly is being controlled by something that is sentient you know, and that doesn't exactly narrow the playing field, right, either of those right. theories. But I posted into a Facebook group about Star Trek Discovery, your theory, our theory, that it is the Kelvin Empire. And I had several people write back and say, no, we think it's the Sphere Builders. I saw some people talking about that, too. And I'm like, oh, I said, think. That's a strong word. I said, if it's someone we know. Uh, 
Sphere Builders would be interesting too. I hadn't thought of that until I saw it this morning when someone else mentioned it. And like, feels weird because they're not reshaping the universe or galaxy, but maybe. Well, I think it's not the Sphere Builders. And I have, let me see if I can count, at least three reasons. One is the Temporal Cold War, of which they were a part, was not overall a popular storyline on Enterprise. It would be weird for them to bring back an unpopular storyline. Two is... The Sphere Builders, their issue was with Earth, not with Quajon. And three, if it was a Cold War. I mean, they were employing the Suliban and those other aliens to destroy Earth because they didn't have the ability to generate a five light years across gravimetric distortion that wiped out entire <laughs> solar systems. Like, yeah. if the Sphere Builders could do that, then they would target... 22nd century earth and just or 23rd century whatever enterprise was and they would just wipe them out and not have to go through the whole rigmarole of a cold war yeah i don't think they're going to touch much with time travel anymore on discovery except for in its use i think they kind of intentionally closed that hole with um when david Korenberg is on their last season which he's coming back this season eventually uh he played the the mummy no who is he uh the glasses guy Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. The guy who was really interested in the mirror universe. Yeah, he does. In real life, he makes uh, horror movies. That's right. Wasn't the Admiral the mummy? Uh, he was in the mummy. I don't remember if he was. I just don't okay. remember. But yeah. But um, so like he's coming back. But I don't think they're going to do time travel anymore unless it's something niche. They said they yeah. basically cut that out. Like, mm, turns out time travel is pretty complicated even for us. Or it has complications. All that. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the first season was the parallel universe. The second and third season, well, second season, they went into the future. Third season, they are now in the future. Fourth season, I feel like you're right. They need to get away from that and do something different. I I thought it might be interesting if they actually are encountering a natural phenomenon, which in a way they did with the burn. But uh, somebody on Facebook posted a link to a very specific... Uh, actual phenomenon. I forget what it was called, like like false nuclear vacuum or something like that. I'm sure I got that wrong. And my question to them was, how would Starfleet fight such a thing? And the answer was, you, you can't. It's a natural phenomenon. It's like, <laughs> oh, that would be really interesting. Like, how do you prevent something when there is no th- person to fight like has Starfleet rarely needs to encounter that on this galactic scale. Yeah. Uh, but also that thing went at them with intent. Yes. That is why, even though they stay in the green zone, they were still buffered is because it was intentional. We didn't really get, and I don't think we really got anything yet new regarding the anomaly this season or this episode. Cause we already suspected it was our, uh, something behind it. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we... I mean, the crew needed to find that out, but I don't think we literally learned anything. Well, we know that it can change direction, which no natural phenomenon should be able to do. And yet, if they can't predict where it's going, how did they know where to spore drive to to find it? Uh, they, they, th- they, ha- they mentioned something at that meeting they had where they knew roughly where it should be at the moment. Hmm. And at the moment, it was acting... At that time, it was acting naturally. But then the instant they got there, things weren't adding up. I see. It's almost like Heisenberg's theory. The more you look at something, the more it changes. Yes. You know, so it wasn't changing direction until they tried to predict it. Uh-huh. So they just need to build a five light year across Heisenberg compensator. <laughs> <laughs> and then bring it back to the first episode of the season. Perfect. That's right. Done. Boom. <laughs> so lots of good character moments in this episode. Well, and while we didn't learn anything new about the anomaly, really, at least anything that's relevant yet, the characters did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was needed. Um, and Book did a fast pace, uh, a very f- quick, um, I need to, I, I need to go through some stuff. But so that's kind of like the recap. We, we, we learned what we already know. They got <laughs> some cool character moments. And uh, I can't wait for next episode, which they have not been doing next time on Star Trek Discovery as soon as they were before. 
I'm fine with that. I always skip those. Uh, it was nice to come home from Thanksgiving and have a new episode of Star Trek to watch. <laughs> that was cool. Like, I always still watch it before I did all this stuff, but it was cool to have on a Thursday where there's a holiday. Because in the old days, uh, they would never do that. Back right. to UPN or whatever. Uh, it's like, nope, we're going to put on our little a hey, special uh, Moesha Thanksgiving or a special... Um, oh, God, what else? What other episode shows were on there? Time Guy or whatever it was. Time uh, Tracks? Time Tracks, the Thanksgiving special, or... Wait, that wasn't Jake's, UPN, was no, it? Uh, it was something where he went into a sphere and went time traveling. Uh, or alternate reality. It wasn't Sliders, but it was like similar concept. Uh, huh. Then there was also Jake 2.0, the Thanksgiving episode, or whatever. Oh they would always... Uh, all these old UPN shows. <laughs> well, why couldn't they do Discovery Thanksgiving episode? Like, couldn't they just... We got that last m- season. Oh, that's true. They all sat down and had a <laughs> bickering dinner. <laughs> Honestly, you know, last week I had that dream where I went down to the planet Quajon and everybody was fine. Uh-huh. I had another discovery dream this week. Wow. I hope this uh, becomes a trend. Do you remember it? I do. I went to the Smithsonian and kind of like how the Phoenix is hanging there in the future. Uh, there was like a small model discovery, almost like the model they use on the show, even though it's all CGI now. Uh, except this is the part where it's a dream. <laughs> the ship was made out of portobello mushrooms <laughs> which explains the spore drive yes <laughs> I love so it. that was my weird dream so, i love it uh i have a few notes not about this episode but last week i mentioned how i had watched these three shorts two starring uh the same actor in star wars and then another random batman show and how two of the shorts had doug jones in it Mm-hmm. And I mentioned that I did not understand how I got from the Star Wars shorts to the Batman short. My original thought was it must have the same actor who was in the Star Wars shorts. And I looked at the credits and I hadn't seen him. Well, I missed him. Friend of the show, James, uh, wrote in to let me know that that same actor who played Han Solo and Obi-Wan Kenobi also played the Mad Hatter in that Batman short. Really? <laughs> yeah. So that is a much more logical explanation for why I was watching those shorts. Nice. Uh, also, I when I posted, sorry, when we posted the Prodigy episode, I it was originally posted on our website as being about the first half of the season. Uh, that's because Lower Decks has ten episodes, and we watched the first five episodes of Prodigy. Somebody on Facebook pointed out to me that the first season of Prodigy is actually twenty episodes, not ten. Oh. So our podcast was the first quarter of the season our bet huh. so i i honestly still have no desire to go back <laughs> maybe i'll so, just be reviewing the rest of the show without you <laughs> i mean unless i hear something cool which is possible i mean i'm not throwing it out there but mm. uh no you can listen to those episodes my thoughts on on prodigy uh and so that's why i didn't know how many episodes there were either I just made an assumption because when's the last time we had a Star Trek season that lasted 20 episodes? No, I think it was fair. Like, I think it was a fair assumption. Yeah, I mean, I, it must have been the last season of Enterprise, which was 16 years ago. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, so that's all I got. Anything else from you, Bree? Uh, I was thinking, like, dang, uh, Star Trek really seems to get good in its fourth season. And I wish Enterprise could have gotten more. And I hope Discovery gets more. And TOS never even made it that far. Yep. <laughs> well, no. there's different circumstances, but yes, uh, <laughs> season four, if you can make it, is tends to be where things get really good. Happen in Voyager, happen in DS9, uh, it's happening here so far, and I hope it continues. Until next time. Uh, punch it. No, let's fly. Uh, I'll figure this out eventually. Bye. It's a new season. I need a new one. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. You would think that in the 31st century with these personal transporters that people have built into their comm badges. Like, back on Deep Space Nine, you could transport a uterus.
Like, why can't we just have automatic transportation oh, of our poop? That's the Harry Potter method. It is? Oh, remember that a few years ago? Well, after all the books and films had come out, JK tweeted out, just like at random, nobody asked, uh, what do people do, or wizards do without plumbing? And she just said they just shit and then magic it away. But they still have to excrete it in the first place. <laughs> okay, I see what you're going for, but... <laughs> right. Right. I'm saying let's just save ourselves that effort in the first place. I mean, I don't know why our food in the future has to be giving us nutrients our body doesn't need. That's true. That's true. Of course, our food is made from recycled poop. Uh-huh. We learned that the hard way. <laughs> At least in the Starfleet universe. Right. But now that they have dilithium, maybe they can make better food. A poop question? Really, Captain? <laughs> A trip tucker. When they, do you remember that episode? No. Oh, there was an episode where they're answering questions from school children on the bridge. And someone asked where they, and they had a question. Like, kid, like, how do you, or what do you do? How do you go to the bathroom? Or what do you do with it? Something like that. And, and said, and Tucker, it's like, really, Captain? A poop question? <laughs> Even in that century. Uh-huh. Why not? I remember reading about one of the first female astronauts and those questions she was getting from reporters were like, how do your husband and kids take care of themselves while you're gone? Yep. <laughs> and she was like, excuse me? You don't ask that of the male astronauts. I'm a freaking astronaut. Ask me astronaut questions. <laughs> yep. Well, I hope that by whatever century Star Trek's take place in, we're not asking sexist questions, but poop questions will always be appropriate. <laughs> right. <laughs> now we've recorded our outtake. Oh yeah, you've been recording. I didn't know that. <laughs>